Welcome to Elemental Energy, the podcast where we discuss how to simplify decarbonization. Here, we will introduce emerging low-carbon energy technologies and give you insight on how to navigate and support the evolving energy landscape. It is our goal to develop content to give you confidence to help transition the market and make low-carbon energy reliable and affordable. I'm your host, Marsha Leonard. Hi, everyone. Marsha Leonard here. It is shaping up to be an absolutely beautiful and sunshiny day here in North Idaho. So I'm looking forward to the weekend and getting outside and enjoying everything that the earth has to offer. I hope you take the time to connect with nature at some point this weekend, even if it means stepping outside and taking your shoes off and putting your feet in the grass to really reconnect with where you've come from, get back to your roots as a matter of saying. Let's get back to the closure of last episode as I talked about wanting to introduce you all to where the United States is today in the energy transition. But there are a couple other things I'm going to address. And I want to arm you with like one of the number one facts to support your stance and position of elevating the energy transition. I want to arm you with some like actual scientific facts to help have these critical conversations with your leaders and other people around you. And then I'm going to discuss where we are in the United States relevant to the world and our position of energy transition. And then I want to talk a lot about electrification because that is the concept that has been one of the hardest things for me to wrap my head around coming from a conventional oil and gas background. So I just want to arm you with some of the knowledge that I've been learning over the last two, three years of how important electrification is to support the energy transition, especially at this phase of where we are in our technology advancements. So how do you handle Uncle Bob at the Thanksgiving table when you bring up the subject of climate change? Let's face it, there are several people on the climate change spectrum of those who really do believe in it, and they are putting into action by trying to recycle and doing small things to help support the climate change issue. And then there's the far, far right side of the scale where they're, they don't believe in it at all. They think it's a farce. And usually the retort that I get with my Uncle Bob is the earth just goes in cycles. You're so right. The earth does go in cycles. I'm glad you know that. So my favorite response to those moments of the earth just goes in cycles is this. I say, wow, you are really right. I'm glad you know and understand that. In the scientific community, that is called periodicity. It's a fun word to say it. Try it. Periodicity has been studied for hundreds of years. There are scientists that are out there that are called paleoclimatologists. It's literally their job to study the history of our climate. They have so many amazing data points that they construct from things such as 
tree rings. They go as far as taking stalagmites and stalactites and studying the different mineral compositions within each of the rings. It's pretty cool. If you go and do like a stalagmite or tight cut, it looks just like a tree ring. And you can actually read the history of like if it was wet, if it was dry. I mean, it's just amazing. Like there are scientists out there who study this and they have come up with these data points to support that right now in this period, we are actually supposed to be cooling and not heating. Well, what does that mean? Is that we have narrowed it down to our carbon emissions being the number one source for us heating. Another point of periodicity is typically our periods of cooling versus heating are much longer than what we are currently undergoing. This data of us having an effect on global warming has been out there prevalent since the 1970s. Everybody remembers when Al Gore came out and there were people, large companies, I'm not going to say who is who, that actually like kiboshed some of them being released. Go figure, lobbyist paying for information to be withheld. It would have really disrupted our energy progress at the time. So it was swept under the rug. Another prime example I have is, why do you think aerosol is no longer allowed in Aquanet, in hairspray? I mean, there are things that we have found out that are damaging to our environment and we have stopped them. But when it comes to the energy industry, why do you think we have not stopped it? Why do you think we have continued to progress? Because people's livelihoods are at stake when you start threatening to change a way of operating, which is what people think. With this energy transition, we have an absolutely amazing opportunity to help elevate people who are currently in conventional fields to just learn a little bit different way of operating, to start thinking about how they can help decarbonize assets that are currently out there. It's a very simple transition. That's why I I really go back to my original stance in the first episode of like, oil and gas is never going away. We need it for so many different applications, not just it. It's going to continue to be a critical part of how we operate and sustain our world, but we need to find better ways of obtaining it and supporting the energy transition. Energy transition is definitely one way of doing that. And it doesn't take a hard approach, a hard stance. You don't have to be the Uncle Bob at the Thanksgiving table. You can be a little bit flexible, people, and understand that if you who are in the energy industry right now have an impact on what you support, going out and bidding jobs and trying to build new assets, you can choose to lean a little further to the left 
and say, yes, let's find a new way of operating. Let's find out how to make this new energy more affordable. It, it doesn't have to be such a hard stance. And that's what I really wanted to reflect on when it comes down to arming you to go against those Uncle Bobs in the company. Because sometimes, I, I mean, I see it all the time. It's not, it, it's not ignorance. Some people, you will never change their mind, but some people just really haven't been guided and said, hey, think about it in this way. Think about it in the way of it doesn't have to be a hard stance. The scientific evidence is out there that climate change is a real issue. It is our job. It is our responsibility as humans to deliver a more sustainable world to our children. If you are listening to this, you're an energy mover, you're an energy shaker, and we need your help to help enlighten our leadership that this is the wave of the future. All of that stuff that was hidden and swept under the rug in the 1970s, it is all being aired out right now. It is dirty, dirty, dirty laundry. If you want some really interesting content, check out Climate Town on YouTube. <laughs> he's a bit crass, but he, he's definitely hilarious. He's in my he's in a, one of my favorites. I definitely watch him when he pops up. He's backed by a lot of information. The guy is paid to go out and research this stuff, and he's just he's got a good twist on it. Um, I don't ever want to really bring politics into this podcast. I mean, wait, who knows? The future might happen, but. That segues us into where we are here in the United States today with this energy transition. So, interestingly enough, now that the government has stepped in and we have, you know, carbon policies, there is money out there to start developing assets that will help decarbonize the energy industry. Carbon capture utilization and sequestration, or also known as carbon capture, utilization, and storage, CCUS, super cool technology. There's literally instances where they are putting these giant scrubbers out in the middle of the Permian Basin in Asia that's sucking carbon from the air and sequestering it into caverns and utilizing it in other applications. How amazing is that? What amazing technology. I mean, it goes along with other industrial applications as well. Like they're attaching CCUS onto hydrogen, which makes it then turn into blue hydrogen. It's hydrogen that is, comes from steam methane reform, whatever. They're capturing the carbon off of these, these procedures in order to minimize the carbon footprint of these assets. Fantastic. We've got money out there from the government. One of them that everybody I'm sure has heard of is the IRA bill. Thank goodness. What that means is that we have money to support the energy transition now starting here in the United States. There are other countries out there like the UK and Australia who they've been doing this for quite some time now. What do you think the Paris Agreement came from? is they've already recognized this need for the government to intervene and provide a subsidy to help this because it is for everyone's good. 
it is for everybody's good to jump on this energy transition bus. The United States has all this money out there, and I have yet to find money to support electrifying. So if you know of money that is out there within these governmental clauses and caveats, you just find me on LinkedIn. Let's talk. Let's connect because we're missing a really big boat here. And that is moving to support the electrification. We are at a point where electric vehicles are prevalent. There is already infrastructure out there to support electric vehicles. I don't believe that is the wave of the future for a replacement of combustion-based combustion vehicles. I think that hydrogen fuel cells are going to take over in the future. I don't know exactly when that is. But right now, we've got to support the infrastructure of electrification to support EVs. This is really critical because all of the transmission and distribution lines that are currently out there right now, they are not up to par to handle the influx of power that we need to support the electrification side of things. So back to my point, if you know of money that's out there to electrify or help with the electrification side, let's connect. But also, let's expand on this further with electricity. So we have these huge electric grids. I don't even want to get into how they're separated and how they're governed right now. But the future of electricity and grid reliancy, I believe, lies in distributed energy systems and smart grids, which literally feed the information back from houses and other things that are using power back into a system to help regulate power so that less energy is wasted. There is real-time data to support it. It takes away the need for these massive power plants, these coal-fired power plants, natural gas-fired power plants. I'm not going to mention nuclear because I love nuclear. So we'll just, we'll leave it at We need to think about how to adapt these distributed energy systems into our communities. Because let's face it, when it comes down to reliable energy, if one of those giant power plants goes down, we I I keep referring to the Texas mayhem that happened about two years ago, is it's really impactful and it's really hard to get those systems back up. We are relying on one large system to get back onto like giving people power to generate their day-to-day, I want to make you all very, very thankful really quickly because what we undergo in a year of running our refrigerator is more energy than some people across the globe will ever see in their lifetime. There are power wars and electricity wars that go on in parts of South America and in India where like mobs literally control the power because of how important electricity is. We take advantage of being able to teach our children at night with lights on because there are some countries, oh gosh, places in Africa who are still studying by kerosene lamps. 
Everybody knows those emissions are not good for you, especially in a tiny little enclosed space. So I just I'm bringing this up because I want you all to really reflect and be grateful today of where we are to have this electricity in our homes. And I want you to start thinking about studying up on the electrification side of things, because that's what's most important right now is how can we support electrification until the other technologies catch up. We can do it by implementing amazing battery energy storage systems, also known as BESS, to accompany renewable power sources like wind and solar, because let's face it, they are not reliable. They aren't. Sometimes the sun doesn't shine, i.e. at night. And sometimes the wind does not blow. That is not reliable power. But what you can do to help make those sources more reliable is attach a battery energy storage system to those renewable sources. There's also a way to, you know, go directly into the grid. But that doesn't help with the reliability of things. So... One of the biggest things I just want to challenge you, if you take anything away from today, is one, gratitude of where we are at here in the United States. Two, be able to talk to your Uncle Bob at Thanksgiving. And by Uncle Bob, I mean your leadership within your companies to help them understand that this is the future, is the energy transition. And everybody needs to get on the bus in order to deliver it. It doesn't have to be that far left or far right position. Everybody can take steps to getting there. What you can do as well is if you have children, challenge them to look into engineering. Challenge them to become scientists. There is, I can't even tell you how many different electrical type engineers that are going to become so prevalent. It's going to be like the new IT wave, okay? I mean... We have to educate our children to adopt to these new ways of producing energy. I think it's absolutely beautiful that the government is now starting to support, but where are we at with the whole electrification side of things? And anybody who wants to get really nerdy with me, let's connect because I want to talk about uh, what is mining doing to our Earth's crust? When it comes down to our electromagnetic field, we've got to stop mining, in my opinion. I mean, it's it's great to have these minerals available to us, but we need to become less reliant on them as well. Because how do we really know what it's going to do to our Earth long time and affecting our Earth's crust, which, let's face it, actually creates the force field that keeps us from radiation? So... I look forward to our next episode. I am going to talk a little bit more about power generation, the distributed energy systems. And then in the future, I don't know if it's going to be next episode or the episode following, I'm going to bring in one of my partners. His name is Maxwell Pitts, the powerhouse. And we're going to talk about how we make these things more affordable. As always, stay happy, stay safe, and I look forward to connecting with you all. 
Thank you all so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe so you're notified every time a podcast is released. Find Elemental Energy on Facebook and connect with me, Marsha Leonard, on LinkedIn. But lastly and most importantly, share this podcast with your family and your friends, especially if you are in the energy industry and you're having an influence on the path of decarbonization. I'm on this journey figuring things out and I want you guys to come along. So the closer I can get to you and the more I can connect with you, the better this show will be and become.